the title of uh, my talk is How to Evangelize Your Friends. <laughs> and while I was uh, looking at the books, my eyes fell on uh, this one by J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And uh, it, says, uh, it says, if God is in control of everything, does that mean that Christians can sit back and not bother to evangelize? Or does active evangelism imply that God is not really sovereign at all? J.I. Packer shows in this classic study how false both these, two, these attitudes are. In a careful review of the biblical evidence, he shows how, how a right understanding of God's sovereignty is not so much a barrier to evangelism as an incentive and powerful support for it. And uh, that's how I'm going to start my paper. What gives me great encouragement today and great motivation and great joy as I evangelize is my understanding of the sovereignty of God. I have a confidence as I evangelize because I have a sovereign God. How else can I take a message or how else can you take a message which is obviously unpalatable to ordinary men and women and have any hope of moving them except that God is able to move rebellious sinners like you and like me in spite of their own inclinations, God can use us because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has said, I will make you fishers of men. And we read, so they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything and followed it. So today, I just want you to reassess, as Toshkel said in the prayer, our own walk before God and what God wants us to do where we are in our own specific ministry. So I really want you just to think about yourselves, what God is wanting you to do, and ask yourself, am I doing what God wants, or am I where God wants me to be? So it's because God can convert that we go. If God calls whom he wills, and when he calls them effectually, as we heard the other night, then we can be bold in our evangelism, because we know that it is by human testimony that God so often calls people to himself. So that must be our starting point today. Not to be despondent, not to be despairing, but surely to be encouraged to know that through us, God will save. Without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. And maybe I should say, we've had a big lunch with a big breakfast, if I see any of you nodding off, <laughs> I'm no hesitancy in, the, in naming and shaming. <laughs> I know the difference between nodding in agreement and nodding off to sleep. <laughs> Some of you might remember the martini advert. <laughs> anytime, any place, anywhere. I think that must be our motto, motto as we evangelize as well. We can evangelize anytime any place, anywhere. But I think the problem with so many of us is that we've filled our lives with important activities that are stopping us from responding to God's call to minister for Him. Day after day, we rush one from one place to the next and we offer everyone we meet 
Um, all our sympathy, but we give a minute for time. How often have we said, how are you? Come here to Woolies, going into Woolies. Come here to the co-op, going into church, come here to the church. We say it automatically and we don't really wait for the response because we think the response is going to be fine. <laughs> we do it all the time. I was converted in, under the Calamathson's ministry and uh, I grew uh, under Ronnie Morrison's ministry and I had a great time in the North US Free Church there. <laughs> but what I did uh, was I maybe surrounded myself with uh, Christian friends, uh, a close group of people who I loved at fellowship. But there were so many in the church that I didn't know at all. And maybe I said to them on the way into church, hi Ford, no hi Jake, no hi whatever. And that went on from week to week, from year to year. I didn't really get to know these people. And I think so often that is true for us. We don't, we, we lose opportunities to witness to people and to evangelize to people. God places people before us. Uh, and gives us opportunities to reach out to them. But so often these opportunities are lost. At that time I think I was moving through life at such a speed. I had so much on my mind and so many activities that I was just saying about these uh, maybe legitimate activities times. But I was moving through life at such a speed that I didn't really spend time with anyone. I heard people, but I didn't listen to them. I looked at people, but I didn't see them. And it wasn't until a few years later when I went to North US to help Ronnie for a few weeks part of my college training, that I actually went round to visit these people and I got to know them and they not got to know me. People I'd seen and looked at and maybe spoken to in that sort of way for many years, but I didn't get to know them. I think the Lord Jesus Christ sends people into our lives, but sadly, we sometimes regard these people as interruptions to a busy schedule, and I think in doing that we are missing many opportunities for witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you just to think about the people you know. I want you to think if we know the joy and the excitement of reaching out to people and evangelizing. You might be saying today, but I don't know how to evangelize. But I'm saying today the most effective way of evangelism is friendship evangelism. It means sharing the gospel in a real and powerful way in a friendship that you have or have built up over a period of years. Sadly, we feel we don't know how to do it. We lack the confidence. We maybe lack the experience to share our faith. Sometimes we just hold back because we're afraid to step out. I honestly believe that even today we have a dormant army of evangelists waiting to be awoken by God and to be used by God in His service to extend his kingdom. God turned the world upside down with twelve. What could he do in, in Lewis and Harris and, and Ewist with us? If we have the right motivation, the right mindset, 
noticing the, the, the opportunities, then God will bless us. Can you put your hand up today if you have friends who are not Christians? Just take your hand up. If you have friends who are not Christians, just about everyone put their hand up. So often, we leave our non-Christian friends behind. We do it, and we maybe don't realize we do it. We're so excited when we're converted, we're so excited with the fellowships, the clinics, and events like this, that we give the impression that we're not really, that we're leaving them, and we've found something new. And I think these meetings, and these clinics, and these fellowships are so important, they're vital at the beginning. But I think we should then have the confidence to move away and to re-establish our links with those who are still strangers to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that our natural <coughs> friendship network, neighbours, work colleagues, can be a rich harvest for personal evangelism. I honestly believe that. We must be wit witnesses of Jesus in our ordinary lives. Rather than leaving everything behind and heading for the sacred sanctuary of the fellowship all the time. We need to do it. We need to be encouraged and built up ourselves. But we mustn't make it a crutch and forget what God has said to us. I will make you fishers of men. We need to earn the right to talk about Jesus. And one of the ways we can do that is by caring. If personal evangelism is to be right or set in the right context, it must be in a caring, real, human relation field. We must get to know our people because we want to introduce them to our friend, Jesus Christ. Surely that must be our aim, to introduce them to our friend, Jesus Christ. Just look at the way that Jesus himself spoke to people. The, the value and the respect he accorded to each individual. The Samaritan woman at the well, he knew how to break the ice. He said, can you give me a drink? He asked questions like, what do you want? He showed her that he was interested in her as a person. That's how it started. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was not a popular man. He was a collaborator. He was a friend of the Romans. He was a tax collector. But Jesus was willing to go to Zacchaeus' home and become his friend. Sometimes as Christians, we appear, I'm not saying we are, but we appear to be proud, we appear to be standoffish, we appear to be judgmental. But what I'm saying today is we should be prepared to join in with people on their journey of faith, like Jesus did, rather than to condemn them for not having faith at all. Our great privilege is to introduce people and to meet them where they are. I remember. Bill Scott, who was a minister in Dumfries, telling me about a man who used to come
to his church, but not into his church every Sunday. This man had a drink problem. He would sit 15 minutes before the church went in and ask Bill Scott to tell him about Jesus. He wouldn't go in. And there's one day this lady came along and she was obviously going to another church. She had a Bible, she, she looked the part. And when she saw this down and out, she went and crossed to the other side, walked a bit and shouted across to the minister, it's sad, isn't it? And he said, it is sad. But they were talking about two different things altogether. It was sad that the Christian needed to walk on the other side. I'm asking you if you have a compassion to see people saved. I'm asking you, are you committed? I'm asking you to think in your own situation of these non-Christians that you know when you put your hand up and said, I know non-Christians. I want you to think about them. And I want you to ask yourself, do I care for him or her if he goes to hell? Would I like to see him saved? How important is it for me to see these people saved before they die? So often we give the wrong signals. We come to church, talk the rest. We may believe church. We come in our cars. We don't interact with the community. But there are situations where we, when we make an effort to interact that things work out brilliantly. I was very encouraged recently to be invited up to Shawbust to uh, speak at the evangelistic services they had there at the weekend in November. I saw the, the invitation that was sent out to the people in the community. Every house in the community was given an invitation. You are invited to your church. Immediately they're saying, well, they care for us. They're it's our church. And everyone in the church went round with these invitations. And you know, there's, there were people who came who hadn't been in church for years, or hadn't been in church at all. Every night they'd be saying, oh, Donna was in church, and Donna was in church, and Donna was And how many Donnas are there? There's three Donnas alone who were never in church. And then they had a cup of tea just after the service. And one lady came up to me and said, the first time ever in my life I felt more than a statistic in the church. She said, a cup of tea. Just invited them to the church. And many of these people are still following. Coming to church. And I believe some could be converted. They had gone and had a meal when they arrived, uh, Mr. McLeod and his wife, in the community hall, introduced themselves, people came. And when people think, well, the church cares for us, they will respond. They are out there. We need to get them in. Also, what's happening in back, um, you know, the sports there, Kenny John. When people see that the church is interested in the community, then they will feel a part or want to be a part of the church. They, they don't see it as something separate. Our uh, mission statement is we are a church in the heart of the community with a community in our hearts. We can say it, but do we mean it? Do we really want to be in the heart of the community?
we need to reach the unreached. We can have different kinds of ministries. We've all got lovely halls in our churches. Many of us have anyway. But a lot of these halls just lie empty. And sometimes maybe it's hard for us to take someone directly to church. You know, in Madrastik they go to Madrastik and then some people will want to go to the Free North. Maybe if we had ministries where we could get to know people and invite them to the church environment and then they will come to church. There's different kind of ministries. We have a, a road to recovery meeting in Newest where, where people who wouldn't normally go to church have been coming along to this, where it is Christ-centered. They feel that someone cares. And through that work alone, there's over 10 people who now come to church. There's the youth cafe, just getting to know the young people in the area. I think I was there for three or four weeks before they realized I was a minister. They thought I was a policeman. <laughs> And then these people will come to the youth night and to the sports night. And we had someone down um, recently who noticed that these teenagers, you know, 16, 17, 18, no church background, many of them in Balavani, some with uh, maybe military background, they weren't swearing. They had grown to respect the, the standards and what was said. And who knows what the next step will be. I've taken a book with me here, and I hope you'll buy it. <laughs> White White Tears to Heaven. Has anyone read the book? It's really amazing. We've had this woman who wrote this book up to use twice. And the contacts that we made by just getting that woman up to speak, we, we said, well, let's give the book away free. Well, someone gave us the money to give the book away free, to be honest. But we said, <coughs> come and hear this amazing story of the work that these people do in Glasgow they work with uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes in Glasgow Maureen and Hugh McKenna and the first time they were up they had a girl with them called Margaret Taylor who was a prostitute now the first contact with Margaret Taylor was when Hugh said to her would you like a cup of coffee when they were out with the super tea, tea kitchen at night and she said no I hate coffee He didn't see her for a month, and he said, would you like a cup of tea? And she said, how do you know I want tea? He said, well, last time I saw you, you told me you hated coffee. And that was what first said to her, well, this guy must have a concern for me. That lady spoke at our meeting, and she's now safely converted, and soundly converted. And she, she spoke about how God had used that ministry to bring him to herself. Sorry, herself to him. It started off with, do you want a cup of coffee? And if you look at the number of times Jesus starts with just wee questions like that, do you want a drink? And it ends up, come see a man who told me everything I ever did is not just the Christ. Don't be put off by the wee things that you can do because they can develop into huge things in God's plan. Mm -hmm. Lydia was converted. She opened, God opened her heart. Then she asked missionaries to stay with her, Paul and his missionary friends. She just said, do you want to stay? She opened her home. Through that opening, God opened Europe for the gospel. And that means we have the gospel here tonight, today. And it started with, do you want to stay in my house? 
you may not realize the things, the little things that you might think are insignificant, that can do great and wonderful things in God's plan. But you must be prepared to speak to those who are not yet Christians. I think there's something else as well. Sometimes we we follow an agenda that is more concerned with securing the flock than to reach out for the lost sheep. We never maybe leave the 99 and go looking. I think also in our traditional church life we expect people first to behave then to believe and then to belong that's how we have put it but I don't think it's scriptural at all because Jesus first welcomed people to belong then they would learn to behave then they would believe with somehow twisted it. Even though we've got hundreds of examples in the Bible of how Jesus worked that way. Remember Matthew. He was first invited to belong. He sat with the other disciples and heard Jesus teaching. He learned what following Jesus was about. Then he believed. But we want people just to behave before we take them in. We had a girl in church last week and she said, I swear and I'm a Darwinist. But she was there. She came along. Because someone in the community who was a Christian <coughs> impressed her. And, she, and then someone else in the community was a Christian impressed her. And then she heard that they both went to this church. So she came along. We need to be culturally relevant. We need to learn the language of those who maybe don't understand our language. I remember staying down in the ferry for two weeks, just quite close to where we've got our outreach work in Madrasti, wanting maybe to have a, a rest. There was a knock on the door the first morning we were there, and it was a girl next door. She was a single parent, she had two children, and uh, she was just introducing herself to us, to us, and she sort of witnessed to us, although she wasn't a Christian, she said, I started going to the free church, have you ever heard of it? <laughs> and then she came the, later on and she said, um, would you like to come to the prayer meeting? It's on tonight. I don't feel ready yet to go to the main church on Sunday. Now that's totally different from, from our culture. And she picked us up and she took us to church. It's a disappointment for the minister because he thought he had a bit of breakthrough because number in 80, num the people in 82 were also coming with a girl from number 80. And uh, they obviously were ready and geared up for us because she had said to him, I'm, I'm bringing friends. And he asked me in the way, what do you do? I said, I'm, uh, I'm in the free church college. And he's mouth dropped. <laughs> but I learned from her because she was open. You know, do you want to come to church? How long would I have taken to say that to her? I might not have said it at all in two weeks. And then she kept coming and saying, I've got all these problems and what do I do about them? And I said, well, you need to pray. And she got the door next morning, I prayed, nothing's happened. And then a friend of mine was with me 
his suggestion to it was keep going to a throne of grace. <laughs> you might have been might as well be speaking Swahili. <laughs> but we keep churning the, this, these things out that we understand and we know what they mean. And uh, I'm not trying to discredit him, but it's just showing how, how sometimes we are operating on a different channel from where people are in Scotland and even in Lewis and Harris and US today. So I think we need to start where people are. Not where we think they should be, or where we would hope they would be, but where they are. Now Jesus started what people were. He was contemporary without compromising his message. And I think we need to learn that we too can be contemporary without compromising your message. You are the church. You have a voice. But so often our codices, is, but we've always done it this way. These are the rules, these are the regulations, these are the rituals. There are churches maybe that are driven by finance. How much will it cost? There may be churches driven by buildings. Staying with historical but inadequate buildings should never take priority over reaching the community. And the church has done it in so many places and there's been great success. I'm not saying ditch your churches. I'm saying maybe use our other buildings to develop other ministries as well as the ministry that we know that works. Let's discover our own purpose today. Let's discover why we exist as Christians. Let's have a clear vision of what God wants to do through you and through the church and through the family that is the church. <coughs> I'm going to tell you that some people or some people who have been receptive to the gospel and used. And while I was thinking about this, I picked up another book. I haven't paid for any of them, by the way. <laughs> and I haven't written them in the book, but I will. Uh, what could I say, it said? At your kitchen table, your best friend struggling to hold together a crumbling marriage pours out at heart. At house group that evening, the lonely widow is still grieving after more than a year just wants to talk. Later your sister telephones trying to come to terms with why she can't have children. You long to help, to bring words of comfort and healing, but where do you start? What do you say? Peter Hicks, who wrote this book, believes that some sufferers, perhaps one in ten, need professional help. And we must admit, we must sometimes say, well this person needs some professional help. What the other nine need, he says, so very badly, is the listening ear of a Christian friend. You need to know those you can best reach. Some examples in our own experience. Number one, that's easy, this one. Someone who just appears in church. You've seen them coming. We've all seen them coming. They appear in church. Surprise, surprise, they come back again. You can speak to that person. You can make contact. You can make friends. There is definitely a searching on their part. God, God has brought them to your church <coughs> for a purpose. God sometimes just does that. And he's, and he's sovereign. He just brings people to you. And he says, look, she's here. 
How often have we heard, I went to that church for one, two, three weeks, no one spoke to me. Because we're all involved in our little groups of close friends. And, you know, I'm not criticizing that, but always be on the lookout for that girl or that boy or that man or that woman who has come to your church. That happened recently to myself in Skye. I was speaking at a conference in Skye. And this man, in the middle of Newcastle, had been spoken to by the Word of God. I can't remember how, but if he had bought a Bible or someone had given him a Bible, he was, uh, all his friends were into uh, drugs especially. And he just felt, I need to get out of here. And I remember once he was in a holiday in the sky. His wife had left him. His life was a mess. He jumped into his car and he drove to Sky, and he pulled up in Broadford, that big car back beside the Tiger and the Mahank place. And uh, he saw the sign, something like, Lift Jesus High on Sky. He came into the place where the, the, the preaching was going on, and he said it was like someone was speaking directly to himself, like it was his situation. I was preaching on the demonic man. And came afterwards to speak and did a wonderful time of, of, of just talking and sharing and equipping and put him in touch with contact. You know, sometimes God just does that. He brings someone to you right before you. And he says, well, here he is. You're a Christian. You tell him. But I'm asking, how often have we not said anything or done anything? I'm just asking you to think about that. Easy contacts, close friends or families of people who have been converted. There's an opening there. What do you think of what's happened to Anne? First time parents or someone maybe has just had a baby in, in your community. Just go and visit. I remember just going to see someone in hospital who had a baby and said, do you mind if I pray for the baby? Next week she was wanting to come to church. A week after she wanted to come to the fellowship. Just by a wee contact like that. People going through divorce, major problems, they need to hear or need to have a listening ear of a Christian friend in the community, whether it's back or bar or bars. We are there, we are to be soft and light. If we are to be effective in evangelism, there's a, there's a huge list there, but I won't go through it. If we are to be effective in evangelism, we need to take ourselves into the feelings, into the lifestyles, into the circumstances of the people we're trying to reach. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that is bringing ourselves into their situation 100%. Part of sensing a burden for others is to empathize, empathize with their circumstances and understand the situation. <laughs> Only as I begin to understand the person I'm trying to reach can I apply my personal testimony to his or her unique situation. When we talk about life um, evangelism, I like to talk about lifestyle evangelism. And this is, we can do this and we don't even realize we're doing it. Remember the wild demoniac living among the caves and the tombs. Remember how far he was from civilization. 
Remember how dangerous he was. He was insane. He was chained up. He broke the chains. What a sight he must have been with that flowing hair, with the unkept beard, with the wild eyes, with the blistered and bleeding cuts that he had, he had been cutting himself and, and doing himself harm for all these years. But then we read that Jesus healed him and cast out the demons out of him into a herd of pigs. And we read that he was made clean. Then we read he was clothed in his right mind and eager to do, to know what he should do next. Now that should be our position in Christ. We have been cleansed. We have been in the far country. We have been prodigal. But now that we are in a right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet, we should be eager to find out what Jesus wants us to do next. And he, he wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, Go home and tell your friends and family what great things I have done for you and how I have had compassion on you. Now you just imagine, just for a second, what it would have been like when he returned home. That man would have made a profound impression on everyone. The transformation in his life would have spoken clearly about the the ability of Jesus Christ to make someone new. His lifestyle, his life, his transformation would have spoken more loudly than a thousand sermons. I am asking if people see in you what Christ has done for you. The way we live, the people we are, the priorities we make, will be powerful aspects of our Christian witness to others. I'm asking you, how do you live? What are your priorities? Think of Zacchaeus. He said, look Lord, I've given away half my possessions to the poor, but if I've cheated anybody, I'm willing to give back four times that amount. Now we can't begin to imagine the impact that would have had on the people around that small community in Jericho. It would have been the talk of the town, the generosity of the taxman who had touched the lives of so many. It would have touched the lives of everyone when they were handed back and they would have seen, well, how, what, what happened while well, he was with Jesus? We must learn to witness where we live. Indeed, as well as in word. Woman of Samaria. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Through what she said, and the exciting way she said it, and the conviction with the way she said it, spoke to so many. Some believed. And they went home and told others. There are opportunities all around us. People are wanting to hear your story. People love testimony. People love to hear what Christ has done. There's a friend of mine called Eddie Murison. He was in prison. He was probably, him and Jamie Boyle were on a par. They were vying for top spot as the most wanted criminal in Scotland. He ended up in prison for 14 years for attempted murder. If you remember the, the prison top riots in Softon where they were taking the prison wardens up, that was him. That man, that man now is soundly converted. He's written a book, Bruised but Not Broken. He's been used by God all over the world. 
Columbia, New York, Scotland. Charles Coulson, Watergate, one of his books on the bookstore, came over to Scotland. He was for prison fellowship. And he saw Eddie in the crowd, and there's lots of people wanted to speak to Charles Coulson. He said, are you one of my boys? He saw the tattoos on his arm. He says, yes, well, you're the one I want to take with me on my tour of Scotland. And then he wants him to take him to, to America. What was the beginning of Eddie Murison's conversion? In the end, no prison would take him. The prisons were passing him because he was too hard to handle. In the end, he ended up in one of the prisons in Scotland. He had two fully armed guards with him all the time. His cell was polystyrene, polystyrene furniture. He had covered his own cell in his own excrement. You'd think, no hope. A man went in, a Christian, a Church of Scotland minister, had read about him. And he spoke to him. The first thing he said to him was, shut up and grow up to the most feared man in Scotland. And he threw him a Bible and he said, read that. And Eddie Williams said, no. Why? I can't read. He started teaching to read. I was in New York with Eddie Murison last March. That man does not miss an opportunity to speak about Jesus Christ. Because he says that he was the chief of sinners. He was at the very bottom. He was in the mire and the muck. And he says, if, that, if God can save me, he can save anybody. Check out, the, you know, the glass wafer when you go through the checkout and they say, do you mind if we check your bag? We've all been stopped when we're in a hurry. He says to the two checking the bag, I know someone who can see even further than your machine. Someone can see right into your heart. He started wit witnessing to about Jesus. We went in the aircraft uh, to Glasgow, United Airlines. You know where they've got the high life, the magazines on the thing? There was a couple of Bibles there. He said to the stewardess, have you ever read that book? It changed my life. In the end, <laughs> I don't know whether it was going to stop. We went through Harlem and, 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 and uh, Brooklyn and he said, stop the car. And the driver says, no way we're stopping here at this time of night. We're in a lift and this big Negro is taller than me and he must be tall. And I said, oh, don't let him speak to him. <laughs> and he said, cheer up, mate. Jesus loves you. <laughs> but the, the thing I'm trying to get across is there are opportunities every day if we just realize them. He does, and he, he, he does speak. Sow and seed. Sow the seed, even when you don't see results. Duncan MacLeod was in U.S. 20 years ago. 14 or 15 years later, he sees some of the girls he prayed for at the fellowship. Sow the seed even when you don't see results. Sow the seed even when the odds are stacked against you. Sow the seed even when you're feeling a failure. Sow the seed even when the soil seems hard. Sow the seed even when the task seems daunting. Another friend of ours, Alec Mills, he was in the RAF in, in Benbecla. He was in the single unit. He was the only Christian there. And on Friday night he used to maybe lock himself away and read his Bible and he'd be playing American football at 2 in the morning in the corridor. And he used to pray for all these boys. And he used to witness to them. And they used to mock him and laugh at him. One night in the middle of winter, on guard duty at 3 in the morning in Balavanic, not the best place to be. 
a phone call came through the military system. A man in silence saying, I just want you to be the first person to know that I'm a Christian. And what you said to me these years ago spoke to me, although I didn't show a thing. So the seed, even when you don't see results. What tools can we use? I've been on a course that's called Evangelism Explosion, and if anyone wants to hear about it, I can maybe talk to you about it later. It's a course where you learn just to talk naturally about your faith. You know, sometimes you're saying, well, I wish the thing would come round to a, a religious discussion, then I could get my bit in. It's got what you call diagnostic questions, where you make a diagnosis to find out where a person is spiritually. Jesus himself asked questions to diagnose. Remember the blind man, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Another time, who do you say I am? Another time, have you understood all these things? Jesus was expert at these diagnostic questions. And in the evangelist explosion there's two questions. The first one is, uh, you need to know the person first. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? It's amazing the openings you get from that question. The second one is, if you were to die tonight, and if God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And from their responses, you can take them to the point of need. I met a man on Logan Air flying from Stornoway to Benbecla just last year. I hadn't seen him for many years. He's now the senior um, driving instructor in Scotland. I said, I might not see this man again. He told me that his wife had died of cancer. I eased him in 20 minutes. You, you know, did the, did the thing with him. And we had an amazing conversation. And I believe I left him knowing what he must do to be saved. Now that's all we can do. Paul may plant a polis water. God gives the increase. But we must plant and we must water. Now we could have spent the 20 minutes talking about this, that and the other. But sometimes you just get one opportunity. Another way we can evangelize, put it on, uh, is doesn't matter anyway. Another time, uh, we, another way we can evangelize is uh, through hospitality. Now, Duncan spoke about the home, you know, the church that met in the home when we were reading Philemon today. I know it's amazing the number of times Christ is witnessing in people's homes. And I believe that you can use your home to win people for Christ. Without God we cannot, without us he will not. I'll just go through very quickly Mark's Gospel, just a few verses. Chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus healing uh, a mother-in-law with... He went into Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, remember. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon Landry. He does something amazing there. Then you read again in chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, 
the people heard that he had come home. Again in verse chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, like it was Levi's repentance party, you know, mm-hmm. talk was talking about parties, still, you know, it was Levi's repentance party. Tax collectors, sinners were eating with him. Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, and, you know, he got criticized. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We still get criticized sometimes when we eat with tax collectors and sinners. There's a huge list. I've got about 15 examples here in different homes in Mark's Gospel alone, where Jesus went into different houses, spoke to different people, did wonderful things. Jesus often used the context of a shared meal to witness about himself and about the good news of Christ. And it's good what Duncan said about having homes that we can all look back to where we got fellowship as Christians. But I want you to think of it in another way just now. Can we use our homes to take people in who are not Christians? and tell them about Jesus. Sadly, I spoke to a Christian after he was converted a year or so, and he said, since I was converted, I've had not one non-Christian in my house. And he was taking that as something good. The examples are there in the scripture. The examples are there from Jesus Christ. You can use your home to get people in. We've all got the free church cook. <laughs> if not, Nigella Lawson will do. Invite people for something to eat. People who work with you, who aren't Christians. People in the community who aren't Christians. Befriend them, take them in, and it's by sharing questions and a- answers that will just come naturally as you eat and drink together that you will get openings. Remember what Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. I'm asking, has he used you to catch fish for him? He wants you to cast out your gospel net, the gospel net that you know will bring in. He wants you to be totally devoted to the work that he has given you as a disciple. Because if we're not fishing, to quote Max Lucado or Christopher McRae, <laughs> if we're not fishing, we're fighting. And we're squabbling and we're moaning and we're criticizing. I'm asking, who will you catch for the Lord? Because the Lord does use us. Remember God's sovereignty. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has said, I will make you fishers of men. As the Lord showed you where to fish, are you in back? Are you in point? Are you in Scalpy? Are you in Stornway? Are you in Tarbert? Are you in Ranch? Plenty of fish in these places. Yes? 
He has given you plenty of fishing ground. He has given you the equipment. He's given you the bait. He's told you the fish are there. And will we catch? Well, we won't catch if we're watching TV and our equipment is safely tucked away in the cupboard. Don't keep your Christianity in the closet. Don't hide your rod under a bucket. Go fishing. It is the risen Lord who says to you, who commands to you, to go. And you know, remember he said, without me, you are nothing. And the disciples discovered that. Remember they were fishing without him. They went on their own strength. Nothing. Then he says, on the other side, 153, the net didn't break. What does that tell you? If you go in the Lord's name, in the Lord's strength, you will catch fish. <coughs> but first of all, you've got to know what you're fishing for. Fishing is a skill. Now, when I was a, a wee boy in Lochmadi growing up, I knew every loch. I knew where to fish. I knew when to fish, what were the best bays, what is the best length between the bubble and the hook, and different places and different lochs. I used to have cousins coming from the mainland who would come, and I used to get so frustrated. I'd be ready with my 399 woolly rod, you know the pack, you get everything's in it. By the time they got their waders on, got the net, <coughs> the hand net, the different rod, the, 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 the 20 minutes, I could have caught three fish in that time. I think our danger is that we could be like that cousin from the mainland. We want another rod, and we want other bait, and we want other hooks, and we want different flies, and we want all this, and we're still piling it up and piling it up, but we haven't gone fishing yet. There's a chapter in Judges that I preached about this, I think it's got to be the communions. I can't remember the chapter, where different tribes are criticized by God for not doing what God wanted them to do. Dan and others. It says, Dan were just hovering around the pier, painting their boats, checking the ropes, checking the equipment, making sure there's no holes in the creels. But they never ever went. We can be like that as Christians. We say, I need more theology, I need, I need more, I need more, but in the end we don't go. You've got the equipment already, I'm telling you, you've all got it. You've got the bait, you've got the means, go fishing. Sometimes though, I think what the problem is, we take the wrong equipment. You know, some of you go sea fishing, you know, you get the big mackerel cast. You ever tried taking that to a loch that's full of brown trout? You won't catch any. Sometimes we are not culturally relevant to where we're going. We're taking the big rubber eel to a trout that's smaller than the times. We need to be culturally relevant. And I think each kind of fishing demands a unique strategy. Remember when Jesus sent his fishermen to catch men on the first evangelistic campaign, 
he defined the target very carefully. He said they were to focus on their own countrymen. He says, don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now Jesus wasn't being prejudiced there. He was being strategic. He targeted the people the disciples were most likely to reach. You are most likely to reach the people that you know. You know their culture. You know their background. You know what makes them tick. You know what makes them think. Colin Morrison will be used much better there than he would if we sent him to India. We need to go where the fish are biting. If a home or town refuses to welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. Jesus told the disciples they were not to stay around unresponsive people. I honestly believe that the Holy Spirit wants to direct us to people he's already prepared to respond. The Holy Spirit has already prepared. They are united to Christ They're from all eternity. He has prepared them. We just need to cast the hook. Look for open doors. Don't focus your attention on those who aren't really ready to listen. Or even people you think should listen. His grandfather was a godly man. So he will listen. Whereas you may be ignoring the person who's come from, from chapel, working for Cornelia, who maybe the Holy Spirit has prepared. But you're saying, you know. Just give you an example. You know, sometimes the Lord gives us a burden for someone just, you know, he burdens you with someone that has no connection. You know, you really should be burdened for your brother and sister who aren't Christians, but you're not. But you're burdened for someone who maybe writes an article in a newspaper. Like happened to myself and Anne recently. John Diamond, married to Nigella Lawson. He died recently of cancer. Did anyone hear? No. Well, he used to write every week in uh, the Times magazine about his cancer. <coughs> and the good man always put his email address at the end of the thing. And this went on for a year, and I said, I think it was Anne first, said, well, let's, let's, let's send him an email. So we started witnessing to him over the email over a period of weeks, maybe months. But maybe the problem we found, and, and in fact he, he dedicated one of his articles to you know, why don't evangelists accept that I don't believe? And they had a bit about this charming couple in the Western Islands. But he was saying, we weren't hitting home. You see, we didn't know him. We had read his articles. And we didn't know what made him tick. He was from a Jewish background. So the best thing for us to do was maybe to put in touch with someone who might know the way he thought. So through Christian Witness to Israel, John Ross, who knew someone in America who was a converted Jew, was a teacher in the theological seminary in Westminster, started emailing. See, sometimes we can say, well, I'm out of my depth here, but I know someone, you know, we can use the contacts to win people for Christ. In order to catch fish, we must learn to think like fish. In order to catch fish, it helps to understand their habits. 
How do I know what a, an unbeliever, unbeliever is thinking? Well, I used to be a fish myself. I know where they go. I know what they do. I know what they think. I know what turns them on if I can use that phrase. Think of what you were. And be wise and be cunning and be gentle to win them for Christ. We need to understand what a fish does. Its preferences and its feeding habits. Some like smooth water, some like rivers, some fish go deep down, some hide under rocks, some... You know, there's all sorts of different ways for different people. Jesus often knew what unbelievers were thinking. The number of times you read the scriptures, Jesus knew what was already in their minds. He was effective with dealing with people because he understood them and he was able to diffuse the mental barriers that they held. If you know these mental barriers, you can diffuse them if you know what the fishes think. <coughs> Colossians, be wise in the way you act with people who are not believers, making the most of every opportunity. I'll say that again. Be wise with the way you act with people who are not believers, making the most of every opportunity. We must learn to think like unbelievers in order to win them. No matter how life-changing our message, and it is life-changing, it won't do any good if we're broadcasting in a different channel from the unchurched. If you want to tune in to King of Mode in the morning, you don't go to Radio 4. I think the problem is sometimes we're communicating a message, but everyone else is tuned in to Isles FM. We're sending the message out, but we're not communicating. Everyone else is tuned in somewhere else. We need to know what's making them tick, what will make them listen. We're not going to change the message, we're just going to change the way it's going. I think, what is the time? Quarter to three. Quarter to three. <laughs> I think <laughs> pastors, ministers need to hear more from you about the sort of conversations that you have at work because so often the word preached on the Lord's day simply fails to connect with the issues and the realities of the wider world. We tell you to be more committed. We tell you to give more of your time, more of your money for the Lord's work. We tell you we need your service, we tell you we need your leadership in the church, but we don't really equip you to make these dynamic links with those on the outside. And we don't tell you how to relate to their affairs. We've looked about Jesus, and why not look? We've thought about Jesus, we've looked at Jesus, why not look at Jesus again? Think of the sublime teaching of Jesus about worshipping in spirit and in truth. Remember he said to someone, those one day will worship here in spirit and truth. Can anyone remember where that happened? She said, but we, we, we worship in this hill. 
Samaritan woman. He ends up the discourse where saying one day there will be men and women who will worship the Father in, the, in spirit and, and truth. How did that conversation begin? Give me a drink. <coughs> the story about the rich young ruler begins the legal wrangle about inheritance. How often have we heard conversations about crops and who's getting what? And how often have we heard about people wanting to win the lottery? And how often have we heard people talking about the weekend they've had and the drinks they've had? And you're saying, how on earth can I talk about Jesus here? Jesus did it. In all these ordinary situations. Jesus' conversations in the Gospel arose out of a quite secular and seemingly mundane concerns which he then took to a spiritual level. We need to connect and then take matters to a spiritual level. <coughs> we need to learn more about how to say some, something spiritual in the context of something that is mundane and worldly. You don't have to sit there waiting for a religious discussion to talk about religion. But we mustn't force it. I heard of a story of a young man who was a butcher and he had all these people come in for his, their serling steaks and their mince and he said, I never tell them anything about Jesus. Then one day this old lady came in for a half pound of mince and he was sharpening his lives and he said, are you ready to meet Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong context. <laughs> he was forcing the issue. He gave the wrong signal. <laughs> but I think sometimes maybe we're too paranoid at having the right answers if anyone asks us a question about our faith. <coughs> So in that reason we don't speak to anyone or we don't say anything because we're saying well maybe they'll catch me out so I'll just keep quiet. I think significant headway can be made through evangelism through relation dialogue. We need to learn to think like believers. How? Well I used to be a believer. We talk to them. We spend time with them. Unless we do that we won't understand what they're thinking of where they are at. Do you know that the average fisherman never goes more than half a mile from a paved road and he goes fishing? You used to see them coming all the time again as I grew up in Uist. People paying big money to go fishing, but they would pack their car, take half an hour to get ready and then walk a quarter of a mile to a loch that I knew there was not really any fish in it. But those who knew would hike over the moors and there we would catch the fish. I'm asking are you one of these people who will take a wee trip, fling your thing, ah there's nothing, I'll give up. What length are you prepared to go to catch men for Jesus? Are you willing to go to any length, no matter how uncomfortable it might be to win people for Jesus Christ. Now fishing is fishy and smelly. You know, you go fishing, you fill the boat with mackerel, you're full of mess because you've been trying to get them off the hook and all that. Fishing 
Nigeria's battery. I think as a church for too long we have been wanting a fish already scaled, gutted, cleaned and cooked before we will partake. That's why we never reach anywhere. Remember when I was talking about the belonging and the believing? We want people to be that way. We're not prepared to get our hands dirty. So for a meal last week, crab on the menu. You had a choice, get a bowl of crab's claws and spend half the night cracking them and opening them up and digging in and trying to get the bits that you can't reach. Or you could ask for crab meat. Sad. We traditionally have been wanting the crab meat so that we're not prepared to get dirt for Jesus Christ. So often we just use the same kind of book. The same kind of bait and we think we'll catch every fish there is. The 153 that were in the net in John 19 were different sizes, different fish. We will never catch different people from different cultures if we just stick to the one way. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, what did he talk about? He talked about living water. When he was with the fishermen, he talked about catching fish. When he was with the farmers, he talked about sowing seed. What we do is, we talk about sowing seed with the fishermen, we talk about catching fish with the farmers. Sometimes we're not connected because we don't know who we're dealing with. If you ever fish the entire day, sometimes you have to change the bait as the day wears on. Where the fish were biting in the morning, they seem to ignore in the late afternoon. I think the problem that we can have is we go to the places that used to be good. In 1950, people here were caught in the gospel net. 2001, we need to branch out. We need to look for new fishing grounds. We need to cast a net wide. And where we are, God is giving us fish. We use the one hook. We don't use different outreach programs because so often it'll cost too much. Think of different initiatives we can have to reach people. There's that ministry there, the Open Door Trust. The Free Church and the Open Door Trust are coming to Glas together to Gla in Glasgow. We have a, a ministry that is great, but we also need to have different kind of ministries in Drumchapel and Govan, where the Open Door Trust are coming in as part of the Free Church, part of the outreach of the Free Church. Free Church saying, look, we've got the buildings, we've got the equipment, take it. You know these people. That's what works. Not if we try and implant something that doesn't work. That works on one place and not somewhere else. 
Have you heard of the initiative with the farmers? Someone who is a Christian said, look at all these poor farmers. Look what they're suffering. What can we do? And there's been an initiative where over a thousand farmers throughout Scotland and England, Wales and Northern Ireland have received a copy of the New Testament, have received a tape of a gospel message, have received a book, I think by John Blanchard, and they've all received them. And you know, I'm convinced that people will be won for Christ. Even if it's just one out of a thousand, it's been worth it. For there is rejoicing in heaven for every sinner that turns. I'll conclude with this. Fishing for souls is not a hobby. It is not something we do in our spare time. It is a responsibility. It is a serious business. It is to be our lifestyle. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love them. And we heard from Duncan, I don't know who he was quoting, I thought it was some scripture, then I realized I think it was a pop song. <laughs> Crazy little thing called love. <laughs> That's what it's all about. We need to love them. We need to pray for them. Friendship is the best soil for bearing fruit in the gospel. I hope I made you just think differently. To look at the opportunities you have that you may not realize you have. Look at the gift you have that you might not realize you have. <coughs> and use all that to win souls for Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say, say to the demonic man? Well, that's what I'm going to say to you in conclusion. Now go home to Stornway, to Braga, to Barvis, to Back, to Tarber, to Ranish, to Scarfby, to Tarber, to Leverborough, to Ewes, to South and North. Go home where you're from and tell what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. <laughs>